Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we're finally featuring a female. My gosh, what took us so long? We are talking to the most wonderful, Marcella Detroit. Now, here's the deal. Marcella's career, in fact, yesterday, the 21st of June, was her birthday. And she has been celebrating five decades in the music music business uh, over the last couple of months on her Facebook page. Her biggest probably claim to fame is probably this song right here, Stay. For a brief period, and this is what I I think needs to be stressed, for a brief period in the early 90s, she and Shaban Fahey from Bananarama formed Shakespeare's Sister. And this song, Stay, became a number one hit everywhere. Everybody knows this song. But what you probably didn't know is that Marcella, Marcy Levy is her real name, Marcy had already been around for like 20 years at that point. She started out singing backup for Bob Seger, then moved on to Leon Russell, then moved on to Eric Clapton. In fact, she co-wrote a bunch of Eric Clapton's songs, including Lay Down Sally. She talks about that in here as well. She sang with Eric at Live Aid. And after Shakespeare's Sister, she has been putting out a bunch of solo material ever since. Really good stuff. In fact, yesterday, on her birthday, she released her brand new single. It's called Vicious Bitch. <laughs> we play a bit of it in here. And you can buy that off of her website if you want. The, the, big, the whole album is going to be coming out this fall. Anyways, there's also a ton of session work in there. They're singing with people like Robin Gibb, Jimmy Ruffin, uh, Hall & Oates. She writes songs for people like Al Jarreau and Shaka Khan and uh, tons more. And you just did not know because I'm guessing this is what you know mostly is Stay and probably just didn't realize that her career was so expansive. She's a wonderful lady. She still looks great. And we get into all of this stuff. So I'm really excited for everybody to hear this story because I think you're going to learn a lot. You just had no idea that it was there. If anything, I probably come off a little too enthusiastic on here. She drops names of people we've had on the show and people who come up. And I always try to, as you know, throw out all the songs that I know they've written because I love them so you can hear them. Lots and lots of great stuff in here. Okay. Anyway, she called me from her home in L.A. Well, good. Okay, so I have to tell you about the time I saw you in concert. In 1991, my family moved from Salt Lake City to Cambridge, England. And uh, it was right after I graduated from high school, a couple weeks after I graduated. I've always been really into British music. And, you know, over there, the charts are a big deal. And every Saturday morning, there was a there was the chart show. And it would give, you know, run down the top 10 songs and and what was hot and bubbling up and all that kind of stuff. I also grew up Mormon and in 
March or late March, early April of 92, I left to go on one of those two year Mormons, Mormon missions, you know, that you've seen the guys with the black tags and the ties and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, the last concert I saw before I went on that two year mission where you can't listen to any secular music was the Shakespeare's sister concert at the court exchange with Candyland. And it was end of March, 1992. And uh, I'm sure that show just, you know, is etched in your brain forever. I'm kidding. Of course it's not. But anyway, and I wanted you to know that, uh, yes, Stay is a beautiful song. And it was number one everywhere at the time. But I already had the CD because I loved Goodbye Crew World. That was my favorite song on that album. And so I had already rushed out and bought the CD because I loved that one. And then, of course, I liked Stay Too, and I was glad that you guys, you know, had a huge hit and all that kind of stuff. So we can talk more about that later. But, but I wanted you to know we've, you know, we've been in the same room together at one point. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. We did a lot of gigs back then. You know, we were just kind of getting off the ground then. And that was like, I think in March was was like at the height of stay. I think it came out at the end of January and by March it was already number one. It really was. You guys were like the hottest band in the country at that point. And as a, as an 18 year old kid, I had crushes on both of you and it was a really wonderful evening, you know, to see this group that I was liking. Anyway, it was great. Okay. I have a million questions about all the different chapters of your career. Before we get into all of that, tell me about what this new release is going to be. Well, there's so much to tell. I mean, during the pandemic, I, I just kind of focused on being creative because what was going on out there was terrifying, right? Yeah. So um, the creative side of me, um, the survivor side of me just was like, okay, the only way you're going to be able to deal with this is to create, Mm -hmm. put it into your music, let it inspire you. So I wrote over 70 songs since the pandemic started pretty much on my own. My husband actually helped me write a few as well. He's a really great songwriter um, and actually wrote one of the best songs on my Jewel album Aster. Um, he wrote. <laughs> Which uh, one? He wrote. Uh, Just can't get you out of my mind. Nice. 
He, I'm blanking. He was in a band. Um, what was yeah. it? He was in uh, Eurovision, his band. It was called Prima Donna. And I think they came in second or third in Eurovision. Like this was back. That's then. it. Yeah. Yes. But he was also in a lot of West End shows in London. Before I met him, he was in Cats and Chorus Line and Jesus okay. was a Superstar. And he was a great dancer. He did all, you know, a lot of musicals and a great singer. As a child, he was in Oliver, um, really? the movie, the Academy Award-winning movie. Really? Uh, yeah, he sang on the, the soundtrack. He still has a fabulous voice. Sometimes I say to him, you know, I hate you. Your voice is actually better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> That, uh, I'm going to have to listen to this for myself because that would shock me. But okay, no, take your word for it. He's a very good singer. And good. he's also a great dancer. And he was in, um, when I started going out with him, we met kind of through a, a mutual friend. And he was in a video of Elton John's dancing called I Don't Want to Go On With You Like That. Yeah, right. I love he's that in song. That video, dancing. Is he really? Yes. Oh. Okay, I got to go back and watch that. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah. So basically I, I got really creative. He helped me. He and I wrote several songs. I didn't know that it, it was going to be an album at the time. I was just writing um, because I needed to a mm -hmm. B. my publisher. I'm with a company called Pure music UK. They were suggesting that I write for particular artists or particular movies or whatever was in production at the time so we kind of after you know the full year or just before that we were like there's a lot of songs here and, and there are several we kind of called the list down and realized that you know i have an album here that is representative of, of me the artist yeah <clears throat> yeah so that's what we've been doing and that's what this new collection of music is all about so 70 songs, and I mean, it sounds like there could be several albums in there. Well, there could, but we, we picked what we felt were the best ones. Okay. So the other ones will, who knows, maybe they'll come out. But yeah, but yeah that's what this release is about on the okay. first. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. I, um, you know, something that, uh, something that sort of astounds me, honestly, about your career is that not that many women who start out as backup singers 
also get the opportunity to write as much as you did. I mean, Tessa Niles, Dolette McDonald, Darlene Love, Mary Clayton, these people didn't write songs, oh. you know? Eric Clapton didn't go to those people and say, what do you think I should do? But they did do that for you, you know? That's huge. Not that many other people get that. I, you know, I was lucky. I, I had been writing and, and, you know, wrote stories as a kid. I've been involved in music since I could speak, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I was in school plays and choirs and duos and trios and quartets and quintets since I started, you know, kindergarten and, yeah. and playing instruments when I was seven. And I'd always been writing. I think I wrote my first actual song, aside from poetry before that. But when I was about 12, I wrote an unrequited love song about this this guy that I had a crush on. Yeah, so I had always been exercising that writing muscle and and it just kind of progressed, you know. I was always writing my own music and always wanting to be an artist in my own right. But when I joined Eric's band, well, obviously the visibility changed. Right. You know? I got to I got to uh, write with him and write with a few other members of the band, Dick Sims in particular, the keyboard player. Right. So yeah, that's how it, I, I became more recognized as not only a singer, but a songwriter. Yeah. So these new songs that are going to make up the new album, did you, you know, we transfer Dropbox files to your friends to play guitar solos and drums on them? How did you, what is it, what's it even going to be like? What's the style? That's it. Good question. You know, um, actually, I played almost everything myself. Really? Because yeah. I know you do piano and guitar. I didn't know what else. That's great. I, I play piano, guitar. I, I actually play a little bit of drums, but I do I do programming. Okay. Um, and harmonica and ukulele. And I mean, whatever I can get my hands on and make a sound out of, I uh -huh. play. Okay. Um, but what's been great about this is the cooperative aspect is that I'm having other people do mixes. Mm -hmm. You know, we sent out the demos and we've had really positive feedback. But I, you know, my husband actually helped me write some of the songs too. He programs um, as well and engineers and he does things that I can't do and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So we're really a good team. Yeah. Perfect. Um, but we wanted to take it to the next level, and that involved hiring pros in to do that for us. So right now we're having the first single that's going to drop on my birthday. We're having that mixed by, I think, like eight other people right now. Really? It'll be, a, you know, a whole, like, bombardment of remixes, probably yeah. a remix digital okay. release. Of, okay. of this particular song. Um, can you tell me the name of the song? Is that a secret? Yes. Or yeah, the name of the um, album? It's not the name of the album. I can tell you the name of both. Um, the name of the song is called Vicious Bitch.
Lockdown must have brought out the worst in you, <laughs> right? Well, it's actually about Mother Nature uh, and how sometimes she uh, can be so pleasant and wonderful and give you what you want, and other times she can just be a vicious bitch yes. and really mess with you and like, okay, deal with this. Yes. Yeah. With this. Yeah. So that's what the song is about. Okay. And what's the name of the album? Right now we're calling it gold because oh. there's a song on it called gold. Um, and it's, it's about my relationship with my husband. It's what we have nice. is gold. That's great. Um, yeah. We're really, really lucky. No I mean, kidding. You guys have been married over 30 years, right? That's right. That yeah. makes me really old, but yeah. No, that's not what I was driving at. I mean, you know, this, the success rate of, marriages in Hollywood or show business or the music industry or whatever is infinitesimal. I mean, it's yeah. tiny. So I, uh, good for you. That's great. Thank you. Well, we yeah. both come from families who've had long marriages, like nice. you know, that last a lifetime. And I think we aren't, we aren't the type that give up. We're both very persistent and, good. And we have a, a gift that we share of communication and the desire to communicate, mm -hmm. which I think is the most important thing for That's any great. relationship. So I'm really grateful. Right on. Good for you. Well, I'm excited for people to hear it and um, we'll play a little bit of Vicious Bitch and um, I hope it does everything you want it to. I'm excited to hear it too. Okay. I feel like it, I don't normally start from the beginning, but you're, I found it really interesting that you went to Tulsa to get started basically in your music career. And I thought, what is happening in Tulsa? Why is anyone going to Tulsa to start a career? I mean, I, it leads to Bob Seger and Leon Russell and therefore Eric and blah, blah, blah. But why Tulsa? Why did you go there? Well, actually where it started was in Detroit with Bob Seger. Um, okay. And it's funny that you have a picture of David Bowie behind you mm -hmm. um, because the band that I was in in Detroit in like 1971 was called Julia. And th this was like, I had been through several bands, but landed, luckily landed in, in this band and great musicians with a, a lead singer and guitarist named Bill Mueller, also known as Blue Miller. And he'd done a lot of amazing things, including um, being the producer producer of India Ari's breakout album. Really? In her band, yeah. But So Bill and I went way back working with Bob Seger. What happened was Julia was touring around, and, and then we got the attention of Seger's manager, who contacted us and said, Bob's looking for a new band. And asked us to audition, so we did, and he hired us. But just before that happened, our we had opened Julia opened for David Bowie oh, at this cool theater called the uh, Fisher Theater in Detroit, which was beautiful, like iconic place. So we opened for Bowie. Then we got the invitation to audition for Bob, which we did. He kept uh, most of us in the band, and then after about I want to say maybe 
maybe three, four, six months, he fired the rhythm section, which means a drummer and bass player. And he hired these guys from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were hot shots. They were like, you know, the Tulsa sound. They had the definitive sound. And this was a drummer named Jamie Oldacre and a keyboard player named Dick Sim. And uh, so we were in the band together. I think it was for maybe about nine more months. And then we toured all over the States. It was mostly the South and the Southeast. Mm. Then I, I just decided I, I wanted to get back and do my own thing. I went back to Detroit. And then the guys from Tulsa invited me to move to Tulsa to okay. start our own band. Okay. And of course, I wanted to go to Tulsa. You asked why? Because in my bedroom, I had every Leon Russell album ever made. Mm-hmm. And I was a huge, huge fan of his. I'd go see him every time he came to Detroit. Uh-huh. I would sneak in underage, you know, fake ID. I even, uh-huh. I was even like a groupie once. I, after he did a show, I went back, I found out the hotel he was staying in and I went, <laughs> I went there on my own waiting for him to arrive so I could just look at him and <laughs> maybe meet him. Wow. Um, and then he showed up after about two hours, and I was like, "Oh my God, he's here!" Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was a Holiday Inn or something. And he got in the elevator, so I got in with him, and and I was just like looking at him, smiling, <laughs> and he smiled at me. And then he got out, and I was like, "Oh well, hey, I got to be in the elevator with him. That was really cool." Yeah. Um, so, what happened Amazing. after that? Like I said, I had all his pictures on my wall, and I actually told my mother, I'm going to sing with him one day. And she's, she just went, oh, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, great, great. So I wanted to move to Tulsa because I wanted to work with Leon Russell. I mean, I love these guys from Tulsa. Yeah. We, were like, we were like family. I mean, we were really, really close. And they invited me to move to Tulsa, and we got even closer. We were like best of friends. We really looked out for each other. And we became the big fish in the little pond. In yeah. Okay. Everybody from Leon Russell to the Gap Band to JJ Kale to some other really popular bands coming through Tulsa would come in and hear us play. I'm trying to think who else would have been in Tulsa around that time. I forgot all about, I love the Gap Band. They're one of my very favorites and I forgot all about them being Tulsa. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I first went to Tulsa working with Bob Seeger, um, we went to see the Gat Band play one night. But that was before I even moved to Tulsa. Uh, Anyways, so what was I saying? Well, uh, let me inter- I have one other question to interrupt your flow here for a second because yeah. <laughs> I know you're only 19 years old, but somebody who wants to make it as a singer gets a gig as good as, at, as singing backup for Bob Seeger. And after a year or so, you decide, I'm going to go do something else. Whereas a lot of people would have thought, I just achieved the thing that I set out to do. And, but you saw that as just a, one step, the first step. Yes. And no disrespect to Bob at all. I mean, it was a wonderful opportunity and very fulfilling. But I, was, I kind of wanted to regroup and get back to Detroit and figure out what I wanted to do next. And then came the opportunity to work with these guys in Tulsa. So because of Leon Russell and that possible opportunity, I decided to go for it. Um, 
So we were, you know, we were, like I said, the big fish in Little yeah. Pond. And after a while, Carl Rado, the bass player from Derek and the Dominoes, he came to see us and he loved us. And Eric called him, Clapton called him and said he was looking to put a new band together. So mm-hmm. Carl said, you should come and check these guys out. Mm-hmm. So he came to Tulsa and he checked to check us out and uh, wanted to hire us all. But at that point, I had already committed to working with Leon because there was no way I was going to miss that opportunity. I loved Mad Dogs and Englishmen. I loved, I didn't really know about, I wasn't aware of the Wrecking Crew back then, but Leon Russell was part of the Wrecking Crew. He played on some of the biggest hits in the 60s, like from the Beach Boys and the Playboys, Mamas and Papas. I mean, you name it, everybody. He was a brilliant pianist. So I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. And the girls that used to sing in his bands, they inspired me so much to be really? a backing singer. Oh, yeah, I love like Claudia Lanier and Rita Coolidge and mm. Kathy McDonald. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be them. So we got the invite to join Eric's band. And Jamie Oldacre was supposed to come with me and do the tour with Leon. But he took the gig with Clapton. But I was like... I'm going to work with Leon because mm-hmm. I want to do. So I, Let me, I have to insert something. And yeah. I got to say, you post these wonderful daily updates on Facebook about leading up to your birthday and little great like history lessons. You and if I understand your post correctly, you and Leon became a couple, right? For a yes. while. Yes, we did. And that was after, you know, we, like I said, he came to see our shows when I, you know, the band that I had. Um, in Tulsa with, with my friends, with Jamie Eldaker and Dick Sims. And we started dating. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that was kind of how that was. But Well, and I say that because it's no wonder you chose to stay with Leon instead of going with Eric right away. I mean, you did. Is that how it worked? You had the invitation to go to Eric. You decided to stay with Leon probably because you're romantically well, involved. He's your favorite singer ever but then eventually go to Eric anyway. Did you guys break up? Is that what motivated that? Well, I loved him. I loved Leon, you know, and, and I was so honored to work with him. And I was also, whenever he did a show, he'd have one of the girls be featured and I got to be that girl, oh. <laughs> which blew my mind. I'm like, I had to like pinch myself. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know? I made up my mind, this is what I wanted to do, and I made it happen. People say, follow your dreams, and I, it's amazing when you're able to do that, mm-hmm. and you just go, that just took all my focus and my energy, and my, I devoted myself to, to doing that, to achieving my dream. So, yeah, Leon, I worked with Leon, we, we toured, we did the Stop All That Jazz album, and the Gap Band were the, the backing band. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. yeah, if you look at the cover, you'll see it's the cover is not exactly PC. Yeah, it's Indians and stuff, right? Well, it's, it's um, they're dressed up as African savages oh, surrounding got it. this cauldron, and Leon is in the cauldron, so it's okay. really like, and, and we're tied up at the stake. They're about to cook <laughs> us too. It's, it's, you know, kind of old fashioned. Right, right. <laughs> Leon was not racist. It no. was just, he had a sense of humor, you know. Yeah. But you're not really allowed to have a sense of humor these days, I think. No, I know. Uh, true. Anyway, so 
Yeah, we I did the tour and it was great. But Leon, in the middle of the tour, he and I kind of split up, and it was cool. I had some of the most amazing memories of doing that, and I got to sing um, "Unchained Melody" by the Righteous Brothers, and he did the most amazing arrangement for me, where it modulated from it started in F and then it modulated to D. So by the end, I was singing like a yeah. high, yeah. A high A, uh, almost like like a high C actually went to a, a D above high C and, but it was just so inspiring. The gap band were incredible. Leon, Leon as a performer unparalleled, really one of the best performers I'd ever I've heard. Seen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the best musicians and everybody in the band was fantastic. Other girl singers from Tulsa like Anne yeah. Bell and Pam Thompson. Anyway, we split up. It was nine months later, and then I got a call from all my friends, you know, in they were in Jamaica working with Eric on the next album. They'd already had a huge success with 461 Ocean Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I, I was back in Tulsa, and they contacted me and said, hey, why don't you come down to Jamaica? Mm-hmm. We're doing, there's one in every crowd. Why don't you come down, and maybe you'll end up singing on it. Mm-hmm. Said, mm-hmm. Okay, what? Why wouldn't I do that? Right. You know, I just got off the tour and I, did, I didn't really know. You know, when you achieve a dream, it's like, yeah. well, what's next? I don't know. <laughs> right. Whatever. I guess I want to be next in some yeah. way, but I'm just not sure, you know, because yeah. this has been so mind-blowing. Um, are you, are so, you about 21 years old by this point? Uh, forgive me if talking age is to with a lady is not appropriate, but I'm just... I'm trying to put this in perspective. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that way. I'm trying to put it in perspective. What's going on at such a young age for you? Right. Well, at this point, so that was uh, 1974. So I am 22. Okay. Right. I'm Goodness. 22. And, uh, and I get the call to come to Jamaica. So they fly me down there. And, and I'm down there for a few days. And Eric... You know, he already, we were already introduced, like, you know, back one week, he came to see us play in Tulsa. And I came to a few of the shows that I could come to while they were touring. You know, when I had time off with Leon, I would go see them a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he, Eric asked me to sing on, like, I think it was five or six songs. And then he asked me, do you want to be in the band? And I was like, yeah, what about yeah. this? Yeah. I want to be in the band. Right. Tour the world with you and, and right. all my friends. Yeah, so that's how that started. Amazing. Um, all right. Now, when does he always have it in mind that you can write as well? How does he become tipped off that you're going to be, um, you know, an asset in that way? Well, I think what happened, not with that album, but the next album, um, we, I wrote a song with Dick Sims called Hungry.
And we, we brought it to Eric and he really liked it. And so it ended up being on the album. Yeah. So then he, I guess he figured out okay. know, that I write. Yeah. And so then we just started writing together. You know, the yeah. opportunities would come up and, and on the There's No Reason to Cry album, I wrote Innocent Times with him. And he, he, thank you. And I was vocally featured on it, which was incredible as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That one's mostly you, in fact. Yes, Uh, I'm singing the whole thing on my own. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that I don't think he's even on there. So, okay. So we have to we have to talk about "Lay Down, Sally." That's the big one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Still a huge song. My understanding and getting ready to talk to you, I mean, I've always known you wrote it, but I didn't know the story behind it. Mm-hmm. I think you posted this or I read it somewhere that he came to you and said, uh, I want to, I want to write a song called lay down Sally. What have you, what have you got? 
and you did what? Exactly. He said that to me. We were in the studio recording what would become the slow hand album. And uh -huh. uh, one day, you know, we were in the studio. I think we had been there for a few weeks already. And he said, hey, hey, Marcy, I want to write a song called Lay Down Sally. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a challenge. And I'm, I'm not sure. I just picked up a guitar and I just kind of pulled the melody for the chorus for that, for that title uh -huh. out of the air. I just started singing that Lay Down Sally. And... Uh, and we and it, but it was a different groove. It was um, it was more like Bo Diddley had a style, and it's a it's called a second line beat, and it was created. I think it comes out of New Orleans. Um, it goes like this, right? So that's how it was started. Um, I grabbed the guitar and started singing that. We worked on the song all day, like that for five or six hours, but. And George, Terry, and Eric and I, we, we all kind of collectively wrote the chorus, but we couldn't really come up with a verse that sounded good. You know, sometimes you're writing and you have one bit. I mean, if you, if you have a chorus, that's a really great start. I like to start with a really strong title and a chorus. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes you get stuck and nothing else kind of sounds, there's no flow. You know, there's nothing that sounds good after it. So after about five or six hours, Dick Sim, the keyboard player, left, and we were stumbling and trying to figure out what to write for the verse. And all of a sudden, Eric starts playing the iconic kind of kale, hand jivey kind of group. And the producer says, okay, everybody, we got to record this. This sounds great. So get behind your instruments. I actually... Uh, played the electric piano, which is a very simplistic part, if you listen to it mm -hmm. <laughs> on the record. But it's um, there. It's there. And they didn't replace it, which I was surprised. But we recorded it, and then Eric said to me, okay, go back to the hotel tonight, and I want you to bring back the, the lyric. We didn't really have a melody for the verse huh. or a lyric. He just said, go back, go back to the hotel tonight and write it and bring it back tomorrow. I was like, okay. So I... Uh, I, I came back the next day with the lyric and the melody, and we recorded it. Wow. And then, wow. you know, several months later, it was a huge hit. Huge. Still is. Um, I think I read, I think you posted that it's been played four million times or something yes. like that. That's yeah. right. Which people don't really understand what that means. I got an award for when it was played three million times. I'm, I'm, I'm going to apply to, uh, it's called BMI, which is like a... Um, a publishing type um, collection agency for songwriters to collect your royalties. And uh, I'm going to apply to them. I want my 4 million plaque award because totally. that means that if you started playing it now, it would take over 22 years to hear it 4 million times. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. Wow. Kind of hard to believe, but yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's such a great song. It's still so catchy. We try to cover sort of sensitively on here some of the business side. Um, I would imagine you, uh, the music business is nothing like what it used to be. But do you still get some mailbox money from Lay Down Sally here and there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. I mean, you know, it comes in, in different portions. Yeah. Just depends on whether you know uh, there's been a new release that that involves a recording of it. 
Yeah. Um, or and if not, you know, then it you know it dwindles down. But yeah, once in a while you get a nice surprise. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. decided to release like a compilation or you know greatest hits or whatever. Sure. Oh so, yeah, it's really. That's um, that song is has to be a staple of any Clapton greatest hits. So you've got all these perfect irons in the fire. One of the biggest artists ever. One of his biggest songs. He's still in demand, so these greatest hits albums are still going to come out, and uh, so yeah, it's kind of evergreen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. really good for really you. Fortunate, thank you. Good for you. Um, you also wrote the core, or had a co-write on the core. It's just like an eight minute long jam groove that could go on for hours if it were up to me. But you, what did you do for the core? Okay, well, Eric had the guitar riff, you know, the da 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 uh-huh. He started playing that uh, while we were in the studio doing that same album. And uh, then the band all joined in and came up with the really cool parts. Um, you know, Jamie Oldacre, when it came to that middle section, he did like a halftime drum thing. And, and Dick Sims was playing this really cool, um, had a really cool organ part with a really interesting, unusual sound that only he could really do. Um, so after they finished the track, while they were working on it, I was already thinking of ideas. You know, they were, I was in the control room listening. And, um, and there Eric asked me again, he said, why don't you come up with, uh, with a song for this? So... I took it back. I took a cassette back to the hotel and I was playing it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a while to come up with an idea and other times it comes really quick. But I was thinking about what I wanted to write about. And I remembered I had an idea to call it something to do with being, being alive and vital and having this feeling, you know, called the core, like down at the core, I'm really alive and, you know, grateful for this incredible life. And I, re- I remember it as I was sitting there in the hotel room, every night at midnight, this fire alarm would go off and it would disturb me. Like, you know, you just be kind of winding down and, and getting ready to chill out and, and start to get ready for bed. 
and this fire alarm would go off. And sometimes you'd have to go outside, like in your pajamas or whatever, something. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so um, that inspired me, uh, you know, because I went, yeah, but that fire alarm reminds me that I'm alive. And I even used that in the second verse because yeah. every day a fire alarm is deafening the silence all around me. Mm-hmm. And, and I love to do that with, I love to use like real life experiences in songs. Mm-hmm. It just makes it more personal and, and relatable and more of, you know, sharing the human experience. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's just about having all these emotions and, and being alive and just kind of, you know, relishing life. Yeah. That's what, that's what it okay. is. Okay. Um, I got to ask about Roll It too. One more Clapton song because that song is killer as well. How did Roll It come about? Oh, uh, thank you. Well, you know, that's really like a jam, too. That's what that's what I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yes, it, uh, it sounds that way to me. It's a jam, and that was um, one album later. Uh, yeah, it, they were just, you know, they were recording it, and um, I was just in there feverishly writing down lyrics. Yeah. It just sounded like, it sounded like a train. You know, it's not like, oh, get ready. Here yes. comes the groove. It's coming at you. I'm going to get yeah. you. Here it comes. No time to run. You know, yeah. roll it, rock it. It was just so funky and it was yes. rock and roll at the same time. And just those words just came to me. I okay. don't know where they come from. They just kind of come out of the ether. Yeah, and they work. Fucking. Yep. That's yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. I have two hard questions as it relates to Eric that I'm going to ask. And okay. if you tell me, Son of your business or to move along that it's completely up to you one i have to i'm sure it's the common question did you two go out were you a couple at any point in your uh collaboration no okay we were not um the i mean there there was kind of an opportunity or uh, a kind of suggestion of something initially but i was like uh-uh yeah I don't, I don't think I should get involved in this case. <laughs> well, I did that before. Uh, I don't think I should do that with my boss. I'm just yeah. going to, I want to, I want to be in this band and I want to be with my friends and I don't want to yeah. get involved in this kind of thing. Seriously. Don't you think if you had 
how different the dynamic your working dynamic would have been who's to say you would have co-wrote these great songs or even stuck around as long as you did well, you know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I don't know. I just had an instinct that I shouldn't. Smart. I shouldn't Where was he at drug-wise? Because after the Ocean Avenue, uh, isn't that when he got clean? Um, or was he yes. in and out of rehab? Yeah. Or where did he stand? Well, he was, he was, he, he stopped heroin when he, you know, right after, uh, Right before Fortress on Ocean Boulevard. But he, Ocean Boulevard. he was doing a lot of drinking when I joined okay. him. It was like, yeah. like some nights, I don't even know how he performed. You yeah. could have pushed him over with a feather. He was so out of it yeah. some nights. Um, Wasn't drinking basically like his biggest demon for most of the time from then on? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Many, many years. I mean, that whole the whole first time I was in his band from... From 74 to like 79-ish, drinking was, yeah. yeah. Was the killer. Okay. And then, you know, he's in the news a lot right now, um, partnering with Van Morrison and being sort of anti-maskers. And I should clarify, I have strong feelings about this. My dad died of COVID over the holidays. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I mean... It's uh, it's kind of a shocker, you know, one minute he's fine and a couple weeks later he's gone because of this strange disease that's just killing millions of people. I'm and so, so I, my tolerance level of people who think it's a hoax or who don't take it very seriously or whatever gets kind of low. And I love Eric, but he's kind of in the news for being one of those people right now. Do you have any thoughts on this? I read what he said. Um what he what he did with Van was to protest the possibility of the end of live music. He's concerned that this that the opportunity for live music will be over, mm -hmm. and he was also um, when he got the second, I think he got the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Mm -hmm. When he got that, his second dose was he he had terrible side effects yeah. like he had neuropathy which he has trouble with anyway and i think what the virus does with any virus it's going to attack the weakest part of your immune system mm -hmm. and when actually when i got my second jab i was like at night I, my fever was going like sky high and i could barely move mm -hmm. uh, and i was i was scared i was really yeah. scared i was like okay do i call 911 what do i do right. so he was he was saying that he was worried, like for two weeks, he, he could barely move and he thought he might never play again. Um, if that's what he says, then, you know, I believe him and I understand yeah. his his fear and apprehension. Um, and you know what? To each his own, if that's how he feels, I understand the concern about live music business. I mean, who knows? People are starting to do gigs now. Yeah, yeah. I, I am not because I'm being very prudent about it. I've been vaccinated. Um, Good, me too. Fully vaccinated, and we've been extremely careful and mindful but since the minute it started. Good. Um, I just don't trust the people who who think it's a hoax and they think that there's some kind of you know evil chip implanted in the exactly. vaccine and all this other crazy exactly. stuff, man. Sorry. I I don't believe that. I believe in doing what's right for our fellow man. Yeah. Um, for our loved ones and and you know but if that's what he believes um you know we're all entitled to our opinion i don't agree yeah. with it but right. 
you know, to each his own. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, it's a, and I worry that it's, it's uh, sullying his legacy a little bit because it's just too, too dramatic and too sensitive of a topic right now. But anyway, I wondered what your thoughts were. Um, okay. So you, I have my notes here in front of me and on a second screen over here. So if I look distracted or like I'm not paying attention, it's because I'm referring to all the notes that I have for you. Um, okay. So I'm trying to decide how I want to do this because there are so many collaborations and songs that you wrote and stuff that I want to ask you about, but I might save those to the end. Let's talk about how, how did Shakespeare's sister happen? Because it, it doesn't seem like the most natural fit for this American girl who's singing with these rockers, Heartland rockers, to go be in a new wave alternative rock group with a member of Bananarama like in a London. Goth, a goth band, yeah. You know, yeah. before that, well, here's how it happened. Um, a friend of mine from Tulsa, who I met while I lived in Tulsa, I lived there from like 1973, September 73, until um, 1977 when I moved here to L.A. Um, I met this, the first day I was there, I met this songwriter and guitarist named Richard Feldman. And he wrote Clapton's Promises. I actually helped him write a few lines of that song. And, and when he asked me what it should be titled, I said, why not call it Promises? Because that's the line I helped him write. How could we know that promises end? I don't care if you never come home. I don't mind if you just keep on rolling away on a distance sea. Because I don't love you when you don't love me. Because of commotion when you come to town. Give them a smile and they melt Having lovers and friends is all good and fine But I don't like yours and you don't like mine well, what should I call the song? I'm like, well, maybe, what about promises? So anyway, I digress. Richard and I have been good friends. I moved to LA. Um, he moved out here about a year or so after me. And we still ended up doing a lot of writing together. We wrote a few more songs for Clapton, like Tangled in Love.
that's when I joined Eric's band the second time because we wrote that song together and, and Jamie Oldacre got it to Eric and he loved it. And then I went down to Montserrat and with my friend Sean Murphy and we, we sang on it and joined the band again. Um, I joined the band again anyway. But yeah, you had asked me. Yeah, how did Shakespeare's sister happen? Okay, okay. Richard Feldman's name oh, okay. pops up a lot when Sorry. I do research for you. So yeah. I wondered if that was the connection. That is a connection. And what happened was, Richard, thank you for reminding me because sometimes sure. I go off on these tangents and I have to find my these way. These are great. They're gold. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so Richard noticed one day, this was like in 87, he noticed that he had some new neighbors and he and I were doing a lot of writing, as I said. Um, we were writing for my own records and for other people. Um, so he noticed he was getting new neighbors and he went over to introduce himself and it was Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics and Siobhan Fahi of Bananarama. And um, he, he talked with them and he said, oh, you know, I have a studio in my house and, uh, and Siobhan expressed that she was very pregnant at the time and, and she said she was thinking about leaving Bananarama and doing her own thing. Um, so they started working together and then he called me one day and said, you know, I think you guys would really compliment each other. Maybe you should come over and, um, you know, sing on a few things, write with us and, you know, play whatever you want to play and, um, see what happens. Mm -hmm. So I think before that I was maybe more of a purist and I kind of stuck to, you know, the music that I did, although my Marcella album I did in 82 was was more experimental for the times, you know, I, I got into more like the new wave stuff and mm -hmm. more adventurous. So it was I have lots of questions about that one coming up, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Richard, Richard co-produced that one. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Richard ended up, yeah, he introduced me to her and we ended up working together. By the end of the album, my my contribution became more integral to the band, but I was still like a hired hand. You know, I wrote a lot of the songs with them, mm -hmm. with Siobhan. We had, a, we did a few cover songs, but um, so by the time I did the second album, Hormonal Yours, I was asked to be a 50% member of the band, but that's how the band, that's how okay. it started. Okay. It was very unusual. And yeah. I wasn't, I think we're both, you know, both doing a little bit of trepidation. Like, what exactly is this? Am I comfortable? I had to figure out a, a style vocally, you know, what, what to, you know, inhabit doing yeah. that particular in that band. You know, it was very different from anything I'd ever done. It's true. It's interesting you mention it and you say it that way because um, you two take on these sort of salty and sweet personas and you're the sweet and she's the salty. And it's interesting because Bananarama is all sweet. You know what I mean? It's all these kind of bright, you don't hear the, you better hope and pray. You know, you don't get the, uh, you don't get that person, that singer doesn't show up in Bananarama, but she's there in, in Shakespeare's sister. So you two sort of take on these, adapt these personas is like light and dark or sweet and sour or whatever. And, yeah. um, I could imagine, it's interesting because at the time, being a guy who had liked Bananarama and seeing this very different side of Shaban, I wasn't at the time familiar with you. I was a 
teenager back then. And, um, but I, I thought, well, she's so different. You know, who's this goth? That's not the bubbly. I heard a rumor person that I'm used to seeing. Was that all planned out? Were you two sort of like, where do we, where do we take this? Where do we go? How do we fit in? Siobhan knew what she wanted to do. It was her idea. She had a, she had the idea to start a band called Shakespeare Sister to kind of, I think, break the mold of what she was thought of in Bananarama. She wanted to do something completely different, and she already knew what she, what she wanted to represent. Okay. So it was my job to fit in around that. Okay. It, it was kind of a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because of our personalities and what we what we did naturally you know she, okay. she wanted to do and i had to i had to figure out what i was going to do right. <laughs> basically um, okay that makes more sense do you have any stories about the creation of stay i mean was it always mapped out that you were going to do the kind of hymnal beginning and she was gonna you were going to be the the spirit and she was going to be the the devil or however it sound you know ended up sounding well, the way that song came about, you know, for the second album of Only Yours, like I said, my sound became more, more, um, you know, integral to the sound of Shakespeare's sister. Um, when we were doing the second album, we were inspired by this movie called Catwoman of the Moon. It was a B movie, an American sci- sci-fi B movie that we loved. It was really silly, and we wanted to try and get the rights to the film. And we used the film as inspiration and we wanted to try and superimpose ourselves into the film. And every song pretty much was written from a specific scene in the film. Um, it was actually her husband Dave's idea because they used to have lots of parties and they would always, there would always be jamming and singing. And I would always sing, I would always sing like ballads and stuff. And, uh, there was one song that I would sing. I would do She Loves You by the Beatles and Ballad. And so Dave and Siobhan came over to my house one morning in the middle of Siobhan and I writing the album. And they came over on a Sunday morning at 9.30 and I was still in bed and my husband answered the door and, and, and Dave's like, it's Marcia. We really liked it. We, we had an idea for a song. And, and so I was like, oh, he came, my husband came to wake me up and brought me a coffee. And, um, and so... Dave was like, oh, you know how you always sing these songs at our parties? And I thought it would be great to have you have a song that you do for the album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, great. So he starts singing. Um, this world is where thin, and you're thinking of escape. And he keeps going on and on. And when he gets to the chorus, I don't know why, I just started singing Stay With Me, Stay With Me. I started singing the melody. He didn't have a chorus. Mm-hmm. I just started singing that. Uh, and it worked. He was like, yeah, that's great. That's great. And so then we, we worked on it. And then we came up with the second verse. And then it was like, okay. He said, now we have to come up with a, a middle eight, which is like the bridge. Mm-hmm. We have to come up with that. To sing. You know, because he wanted her to have a part of it as well. So we worked on that. And, um, yeah, that's how that started. And she and I did a demo of it at my house. And we, we did the vocals all at my house. And actually the vocals for that and all the backing vocals were actually from my home studio, from my no recording that I did at home on my little 
Fostex 8-track. We flew those over to England, and uh, they kind of dropped them in. You can actually hear how, if you listen to the record, you can hear at the end, because we didn't have what's called MIDI mm-hmm. back then. Um, so you can actually hear my lead vocal drifting out of time toward the right. end of the song by the time it gets into the last chorus. And, uh, yeah, so that's how that came down. Wow. Wow. You know, something else, you, you mentioning this, I, um, I mean, I knew they were married, obviously, and everything. I forget that they, they lived in L.A. So mm-hmm. as much as, I guess maybe because I live in England, and I know it's a number, or I did then, and I knew it was a number one song, and she's British, I think of it as you being the American, being sort of sucked into this British group. But in reality, everything's happening in L.A. Uh, she's British, but it, is that, I mean, is the album coming together and being produced and written and sung on in your L.A. home studios? Well, like I said, we wrote it at my, most of it at yeah. my house in L.A. Yeah. Um, they had a home in L.A. They also had homes in other parts of the world, including sure. England and France. Um, and the first time we traveled a lot. Like we went to England to record, we came back to LA to record, we went to New York to record and write. And, but for this album, we did most of the writing in LA in my home studio. And we ended up doing some of the recording in England over at Dave's studio in London, okay. at the church studio. And the song actually stayed, went through a different, few different incarnations. Hmm. Um, it was rewritten a few times. Uh, lyrically and melodically, but it came back to what it initially was in the end. Um, and some of it was, like I said, recorded back there. And then, and then some of it, like the, that big high note that I do in the middle of it before it goes to the last course, I did that note here in LA at Dave's studio, the chapel wow. studio was called. Fascinating. Yeah, so it was really um, a lot of traveling and, you know, Seems just going wherever everybody was at the time. Yeah. Um, well, and then it, and then that's it. And, um, okay. I've got to ask another hard question. I, uh, their marriage doesn't last. My understanding is that Shabon deals with some, uh, emotional or mental illness once in a while. Um, I've tried to get her on here. I'm, I've had her, she's best friends with Marco Peroni from Adam Ant and he's been on here a couple of times and, tried to make that happen and I keep getting shut down. I'd love to chat with her, but is that, if this is too personal or too sensitive, just tell me, but is that what's sort of bringing the band to an end is any kind of like emotional issues or drama or baggage going on behind the scenes? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's really for me to say, but I'll tell you this and she's made no, uh, made no secret of it. She hated Stay from the moment it was created. Really? Yeah. She even said it to my face, like, when we did our reunion. <laughs> I hated Stay. I hate it. But, I've learned, but to be fair, she said, but I've learned to embrace it now. Uh-huh. Which, you know, good for her for, uh-huh. for accepting it. Because it was a huge success. Yes. And we should both be proud of it because we both contributed to it equally. Totally. totally. I mean, it was, you know, the light and the dark and how we complemented each That's other. It the light and the shade. Um, but you know, she, I think that was part of the problem why the band split up the minute that was a big hit, um, things started to go wrong, but she was going through her own problem, personal problems. Let's just say, okay. You know, 
yeah, that's my understanding. I, I, I don't know the specifics. I don't need to, but that was, that's always been my understanding. And especially because, you know, Bananarama have their big reunion recently, but she doesn't stick around to, she's not in the band permanently. You guys do your big reunion recently, but then go do your separate ways. She seems to be happier to kind of swoop in for a reunion or something like that, but not permanent member of group day in and day out. Seems to be like her comfortable place. Yeah, well, you know, she's very, um, she's very, very bright. She is very determined. She's very much her own woman, as am I my own woman. And, and I'm an artist in my own right, and, and so is she. Mm-hmm. So for us to come together and do something for that time was was really great. It was great to have the, the resolution mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, clear up any misconceptions that either one of us had because we had we had a lot of people in between us mm-hmm. convoluting things and yeah. making communication difficult. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had to have my own manager because I felt her managers were not looking after me. I mean they, they let me they left me stranded at hotels with nobody to pay for the hotel and I was like Boy. I gotta get somebody to look after me. Yeah. It's nothing personal, but I mean, they're not looking out for me. So, so it caused, caused rifts sometimes, but I felt like it's what I needed to do to protect myself. Yeah. Um, Sounds like more of a business relationship or a business arrangement than it does friends. It, you know, initially it was, well, I thought maybe we were friends, but it became more of a business relationship. And but like I said, the reunion was a chance to clear up some misconceptions, and I'm glad we had that opportunity. Yeah, totally. Um, I just realized I've been ta- we've been talking for an hour, and I still have a ton of stuff. Are you okay? Uh-huh. I have no time limit, but you might have a time limit. Well, I've probably got a good 30 minutes. Okay, good. Because um, I still have a lot of things I want to ask you about. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so where did the name Marcella Detroit come from? Whose idea was that? Well, you know, my, I did an album called Marcella, which is my, that's my real name. I was named Marcella. Um, I don't have a middle name, just Marcella. Marcy okay. is my name. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So while we were doing Shakespeare Sister, when it first started, Siobhan suggested that I change my name to give myself a new lease on life, you know, away from being just this background singer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, if people just see me as a background singer my entire life, then, you know, it's kind of hard to be seen as something else. So we went through, you know, I said, well, Marcella, I love, that was my album, and I, I love that name. So we went through a few ideas, and I said, well, what about Detroit? I'm from Detroit, and that stuck. Yeah, nice. So, okay, so what, first of all, I... I made the mistake. I have in getting ready to talk to you. I'm looking on allmusic.com and Spotify and everything for Marcella Detroit. I didn't realize until this afternoon that if I had searched for Marcy Levy, I would find all kinds of new stuff that I didn't know was there. And so, yes. So like the Marcella album is on Spotify, but I didn't know that until today. It is? Yeah. Be long now till I'm 
It is. I don't know how they got the right the right to put that up there. I don't know, but it's I'll there. Check that out. Thank you. Yeah, and so there's that album, and there's the one that you were making with David Foster around what seventy eight, I believe, that got shelved. That was actually in uh, yeah around that time. Yeah. Okay. Is that up there? No, 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 no. <laughs> I've never heard that. But I, I just was. Here are two. Um. You know, David Foster's huge. Of course, he's a cherub back then. We don't know that he's big-time David Foster in 1978. But still, here are two pieces of your soul, heart and soul, that are you worked hard on that are out there that not that many people know about. And they should, you know? Thank you. Yeah, but, you know, this happens a lot in record companies. I'll tell you the scenario. You're an artist. You get signed. You have one person that is really championing, championing you, right? And then that person suddenly leaves the company. So there you are. You're like the evil or like the unwanted stepsister, for lack of a better description. And they don't really know what to do with you. The people that were really excited about you are like gone. And the rest of them are like, oh, God, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. So I did my Marcella album that happened. The guy who signed me really loved it and then he left. And when the record came out, the, the West Coast liked it, but the Epic Records, but the East Coast did not get it. Even though I did a little promotion and they went to all the trouble having a world-class producer, John Boylan, producing it and Richard Feldman played on it as well. And even one of the guys who was an executive in the record company was co-producing it, a guy named Frank Rand. But Nothing happened with them. This happens a lot. You know, it's, yeah. I'm not the only one it's happened to. It happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, my favorite album of yours is Feelers. I love that album.
That I think is your best work. I mean, I'm maybe I'm biased or whatever, but of all of them, that's the one where I'm like, this is the best version of Marcy, if you ask me. Uh, at that point, again, these are fantastic solo albums that are out there that aren't getting like major label push and promotion behind them, but they exist and they're yeah. good when you find them. Do you, um, how do you feel about when you're making these albums or even the new one you're working on now? Over the years, have you been able to sort of, I don't know, keep things in perspective? Like, I'd love the world to hear this, but they probably won't. So as long as those who do love it, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? There's always a desire to have more people hear what you do. Yeah, I know. Not just because you're, you're proud of it and you feel like you have something to share and something to say. Um, but uh, I don't know. What can you yeah. do? You do your best and you yeah. do what you love. And I've been fortunate enough to do that my entire life. And, and I still am. Um, right now, I'm just doing an, another independent label. However, I'm getting a lot of support from Good. people. And I feel like something something is going to happen with this. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. I got to ask about some... Some of the songs you wrote and uh, the people you worked with. Um, for instance, One Way for Al Jarreau. I love Al Jarreau. I'm not crazy about the Hearts Horizon album, but that's my favorite song on that album because the, the album set, it's in that, it's a little overproduced, but that song sounds exactly like you want it to, like this kind of tropical, you know, sunny, windy, sunny day just pouring over you. I love the vibe of that song. Did you get to meet Al? Did you get to work with him directly or did he just pluck a song from you? Well, here's how it happened. Um, I co-wrote that song with a guy who's sadly no longer with us named Bill Hughes, great writer. He used to actually work with Anne Murray a lot and wrote stuff with her for her. But his partner got the song. I had been doing a lot of work with George Duke, who produced that album. Yes. I, I, I was doing a lot of session work after I moved to L.A., and George Duke was one of the people that I worked with a lot, him and Stanley Clark. And, mm -hmm. and so anyway, 
we got the song to George and he loved it for Al. And so he called me and he said, Marcy, I want you to come over and sing the song with Al. And I was like, oh my God, this is so yes. cool. Yes. And Al was just such a sweet guy and what a voice. Oh man. So, so, so Love good. Him. It was just such a joy and a pleasure to work with him and to be able to sing a song you wrote, sing the background vocals with the artists. I mean, I, I've been so lucky. I mean, that doesn't yeah. really always happen. Yeah. So that's how that happened. I actually, Bill gave me the tape of, of the cassette of the backing track for that. And, and uh, I, I, I took it on a trip. I was going to Nashville to do a, a session for somebody. And I was listening to it in the plane on the way back. And, and I just came up with the idea mm-hmm. for one way and just wrote the whole thing on the plane, brought it back to that it. And we, and we wrote, we, uh, sorry, we recorded the vocal at a studio and yeah. So that's how that happened. Love it. So, okay. So you also, Hall and Oates are probably my favorite group of all time. And you're on the So Close album. Are you, I remember hearing your voice. Is it heavy rain? Actually, I did do a lot of session work with Daryl Hall at one point when I was doing, and Bill Champlin from Sons of Champlin, then yeah. into Chicago. But while I was doing my session work, I did a lot of work with, with Daryl. And I was reintroduced to him um, by Dave Stewart because he and Dave were good friends. So right. I was reintroduced to him and did some more stuff with him. But You know, it's funny. I've had John Oates on here, and um, he's such a sweet gentlemanly warm guy and daryl has one of the greatest singing voices in history and he's known for being a little prickly a little grumpy but you worked closely with him you guys got along okay i never had any problems with daryl he was always like so sweet oh i'm looking at yeah this this is for alice cooper yeah we did oh that's okay so that's another one yeah billy and billy (laughs) i love the from the inside album Oh, I know you're worried today. 
God made love crazy so we wouldn't feel alone. He was thinking of us, he was thinking of us. God made love crazy so we wouldn't feel so alone. That was produced by David Foster, so that's probably where that connection comes that's from. That's where that connection came from. You know, after I did, you know, my um, the attempt at doing a record with David and the, the label turned it down, um, David would call me to do sessions. And um, one day I got a call from him saying, hey, can you come and sing this duet with Alice Cooper? And I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, I love Alice Cooper. He's from Detroit, too. That's true. I was going to say yeah. that. Yeah. And I used to go see him play when I was uh, like a, a teenager you know, underage teenager, I go see him play all the time. So it was really an honor. And him and David were talking about golf most of the session. Of course. And then they played me this crazy song about these two people who were good friends in an insane asylum. I thought, oh my God, this is really <laughs> a star. But but it was cool. That's it was right. great to work with Alice and of course David. Always great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, so this, this is a whole other section, duets or whatever that you've done. Help me with Robin Gibb. That's a great song. Tell me about that. Well, you know, that all came about from me after I did the Clapton stuff and, and I left the band like in early 79. I was still signed to RSL Records and that's why, you know, I did the David Foster stuff. But they were always, Robert Stigwood was, they were always interested in putting me together with, with people and they put me together with Robin. They asked if I wanted to work with him and they had that movie. They were working on Times Square and... Mm -hmm. uh, they flew me to London, and and I ended up doing that duet with Robin, and he was fantastic. 
Really? What an incredible talent. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. he was amazing. And then he would call me to do other things. He'd call me to come down to Florida to do um, to work on Jimmy Ruffin's album. That's my next a, question. Yeah. yeah. We did a duet called yeah. Where Do I Go? And Jimmy Ruffin is one of my heroes, you know, yes. one of the temptations. Also Detroit. Yep, all Detroit. Yep. So it was it was a joy. Yeah, tell me about Jimmy Ruffin. Um, you know, as I think the Temptations are probably the greatest singing group in history, and My Girl is maybe the greatest song ever right. written. Yeah. But uh, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted is right up there, too. And that's Jimmy's finest moment. What is it like singing with Jimmy Ruffin? And it, because, and I, boy, some we're pulling up. I am going to the dark side probably too often here. David Ruffin had a lot of demons, a lot of drug demons. Really? Yes. And I'm wondering if Jimmy was like that. I didn't notice anything like that, but I really, quite honestly, wasn't around him enough to notice. I mean, when I did work with him, it was just, you know, I came down to Miami at the, you know, request of Robin to work with Jimmy. And um, I think maybe I was there for three days and he was nothing but a gentleman and, okay. and kind and just so, so sweet. And what a great singer and such a cool laid back guy. There was oh, nothing, nothing frenetic or nothing, you know, that seemed had to have anything to do with drugs to me. Good. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I love those guys. Yeah. Um, what about Philip Bailey and uh, the Chinese Wall?
Oh, yeah, the Chinese. Well, well, you know, I wrote that song with Bill Hughes, who I wrote One Way with, and his partner, this girl named Roxanne Seaman, um, she was very good at uh, getting us covers. Mm. So she was friends with um, Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind & Fire. And her and Bill had written this song, Start of Chinese Ball. And they, sometimes they'd have me come over and look at some of their lyrics and I, at, they'd ask me to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, what do you think of this? What, how could this be better? Or, you know, can you add anything? And I helped them with that song. I, I saw what they were doing and I said, oh, put, you know, maybe put this here, put this verse there, put these things together and, and um, help them with melodies or whatever. They used to call me the song seamstress. I was just going to say that. You yeah. mentioned that recently and I thought, yeah, was that like was that your nickname or your you know that's how people knew you the song seamstress? Well, some friends knew me as that. Good, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, uh, I love I, Philip. Earth, Wind, and Fire is another one of my favorite bands, and um, yeah. So and you would have worked then with Phil Collins, yeah, because he produced that album, and he also produced Behind the Sun that Clapton did, and I think right. are you on that album or are you just singing? Yes. He's waiting um, at Live Aid. Okay. Um, I was singing on, let's see, I did a song in between that called Walk Away that Richard Feldman and I wrote. We got it to Eric and it was on, was that on August? I believe that was on August. I, I love August. Good album. Back. I ended up rejoining Eric's band because Richard and I wrote this song called Hang of the Love and we were thinking when we wrote it this could be great for Eric mm-hmm. um, so we got it to Jamie Oldacre who was still in his band this was in 1984 and uh, and so we sent it to him and, and and I get a call from Phil Collins saying um, no yeah I think it was from Phil from Phil and Eric and they said I have really love the song uh, can you come down to Montserrat in a few days and, and bring a friend who can sing really good. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I got the best singer that I, I've ever, one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. Her name is Sean Murphy uh, uh, from Detroit. And what a voice, this girl. Wow. I mean, I don't know why she's not a megastar. Yeah. This girl is like literally got one of the most amazing voices I have ever heard, ever. So I brought her down with me. I flew to Detroit to meet her there from LA and, and we took the red eye. Um, she was doing a gig that night, so we didn't get 
We didn't leave her gig till like 2 a.m. Went to her house, had about two hours of sleep and got on a, on a plane to Montserrat. And we were like so wiped out. But uh-huh. we got there and a day later, we ended up singing on several songs. And she, so, oh, sorry. go ahead. No, go. you go ahead. It's so funny because the engineer on that album, who I recently worked with the engineer, and back then, the engineer, he was very quiet. You know, he was doing his job. His name is Nick Launay. He's and been on the show. I just talked to him recently. Right. Uh-huh. right. So yes. I didn't even realize when I ended up working with Shakespeare, with Siobhan, with Shakespeare's sister, the reunion, and we realized, Nick and I realized that, oh, my God, we worked together with, with Eric doing Behind the Sun. No way. Very, very mild and, you know, uh-huh. mannered. You didn't really hear a peep from him. He did his job really well. Yeah. So, yeah, he was on that album as well. That is that, so funny. Isn't uh, I Yeah, I talked to Nick last fall, and uh, he was a riot. We talked for – I sent him – I mean, he's worked on a ton of stuff that I love. I sent, He wanted to know what I would want to talk about, and I sent him a list – of literally 35 probably different artists or songs or albums wow. that he worked on. We ended up talking for three hours and wow. we got through about eight of them because he is so full of these fantastic stories that you just don't want to end. You know, He's he was amazing. the best. And we talked about that album. If I remember right, that was a difficult one for him. Um, he had been, uh, Hugh Padgham had been his mentor. Right. And so he had worked on just about everything you did, including in the air tonight and Phil's other solo stuff. So that might've been the connection there. Okay. Last thing. Um, any great live aid stories? I mean, there's you. Is Sean Murphy the woman singing with you at Live Aid? That's what I thought. And you, one of the pictures, I believe you posted a picture recently of you two looking very sexy in some slinky black dresses that I noticed were also the Live Aid dresses, I believe. So tell me about this. Well, actually, those slinky black dresses were leather dresses that she and I bought. But we wore we wore these bodysuits under those dresses. Okay. We bought them at a, a store in London, or like a market it was called Hyper Hyper. 
you probably went there or heard about it was in Kensington. Mm -hmm. Um, But these other black dresses were things that Sean used to make our clothes, our stage clothes. So she made these tay bars or they're like tunics and they were kind of open on the side and we had these body suits that we wore with them and we wore those at Live Aid. Yeah, that was a trip because we were, we were on the road with Eric and we were actually on the West Coast and we, he got the call to do Live Aid and asked if, you know, we could fly there to do show. So, um, so Eric and management agreed. So we went there in the middle of our tour. We had a few days off. We flew there and um, they put us up and and I remember, you know, we went to Live Aid that day and there was all, there were all these people like milling around backstage. I saw Madonna and Sean Penn and mm-hmm. past Chrissy Hind in the elevator. And it was just, and Duran Duran were around and just all these incredible acts doing this wonderful show. And then it was our turn and we were, we were waiting for Phil Collins because he did his performance in London. And the idea was he was going to do his performance and then fly over to Philadelphia in Con- on Concord. And so his flight was delayed somehow, and we were waiting and waiting, and it was getting really close for us to do the show. And, and uh, then we got word that his plane landed, and he was taking a helicopter in so we could get here to the, to the show quicker. Mm-hmm. The arena was in some stadium. I can't remember the name of it. But, um, yeah, so... The great part about it was the helicopter landed, Phil, you know, jumped out. But what we were doing was we were already up on stage. There was a revolving stage. So as one band was finishing their set, they'd have the next band set up behind them, behind this curtain. And so we were waiting, waiting for for Phil. And the, the helicopter landed, like I said, he ran on stage and, and just in time. And the other band had quit. And all of a sudden, we're, we're all in position. The stage is rotating around, so we're facing front. And um, the curtain opens. I will never forget the sound of that crowd. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. Believe it. It was 105,000 people screaming. I mean, the energy from it was so incredible. And actually, Eric, he was standing to my left. Mm-hmm. And so... I, when we heard that the noise that the crowd generated, I looked at him and he looked at me and we both went, whoa, <laughs> like, oh my God, that is overwhelming. It's so wow. loud and intense. Yeah. We were just completely, I've never seen Eric react that way because he's so used to, you know, yeah. people cheering, but that was something to know. Amazing. Yeah. And then we did this show and it was just, it was just incredible. Yeah. Incredible with Phil joining us and Jamie yeah. and Duck Dunn playing bass. Yes. And it was so good. Remarkable. Classic. That's great. Did you get to stick around and see Queen or Bowie or anyone else that day? No, we didn't stick around very long because we had to we had to leave the next day. We had to go back to, to get back on our tour. Okay. And we didn't really get to stick around. I only saw you know, like I said, Chrissy and Madonna and, and you know, a few other people. Okay. Um, well, is it okay if I call you Marcy? Please Seems do. like everyone else does. Okay. I'll be mad if you don't. Okay, good. Uh, if you can't tell Marcy, thank you for chatting with me because you've done a lot of fun things that I really love. And I just was so excited to hear your stories 
behind all of this great music. And I'm excited to enter, like I said, to include little snippets of all the songs we just talked about so that people who think they know you or they know Lay Down Sally and Stay or they, they think they get it, get to see like the breadth of the and the diversity of the music you've helped create for either yourself or for other people. It's fascinating to me. Thank you. I love to I love to try new things. Before I joined Shakespeare Sister, I I didn't do that so much, you know, not quite as much. I would step out a little bit, but um, yeah, it really opened me up to trying different things. And Good. I love experiment, and I lo I love using technology and you know real like analog sound as well as you know technology. Yeah. Good. Is there, um, I'll just ask one last time, is there a story that you like to tell that I didn't ask the question that provokes it? Maybe it's related to something we talked about, maybe it's not. But is there just a thing where you're like, you would never believe what happened to me? I'm trying to think. I think we covered a lot, but I can tell you one funny story. Which, Please. Um, well, I mean, I have several. It's just how much time do you have? I can tell you a story about when we, when I joined Eric's band the second time. Sean and I had been shopping at that hyper hyper market, and and I bought a, a rubber dress <laughs> made out of rubber. It was a black rubber dress that was really form fitting, right? And so I'm, we did the first few songs, and I'm we're under the stage lights, and I'm sweating my ass off. I don't know, you can bleep that out if you need to, but I no, mean, it's fine. I am sweating, and I'm really a girl that, I don't, you know, I don't really sweat, but I was sweating, um, and so I was getting concerned, because it was just like, there are puddles around my shoes, <laughs> right, so there would always be a spot in the show, like after three or four songs, where the, we could take a break, so after, when I, when I got that opportunity, I ran backstage so fast. I was like, fine, I got to find the manager. I was like, give me the keys to the dressing room. I got to get out of this dress. And so I was like, why? What's going on? So it, was, it, it was like this big drama, right? And so I, I ran backstage and I could hear them playing. I could hear them winding up the song where I had to be back on. So I found a dress that was similar to that dress. It was it was made out of leather and, and nowhere near as, you know, um, Sweat inducing and sweaty <laughs> as the rubber dress that was really stupid. Right. Try that one. Um, so I, I got up there and back on stage, just in time. but yeah, it was good. It was, it was really funny. Oh, uh, the, the we're all you guys are slaves to fashion, you rock stars, right? Well, you gotta do what you got to do. You do, but I love fashion as well. When I was a kid, I dreamt about being a fashion designer, and I have been involved. In, in designing as well and I'm, i hope to do it again one day because I, I love fashion so much uh, i mean i think that there, if there if there's a theme to this conversation it's that anything that marcy decided she wanted to do she just went out and did it and it worked out and she was successful at it and not everyone gets to say that about their lives you know what i mean but you yeah. can that's Thanks. amazing yeah. well good well, thank you, Marcy, for talking with me. Um, like, yeah. if you can't tell, I love so much of what you do. All right, there you have it, Marcella Detroit. So much stuff that we didn't even get around to. There's, she sang backup on a song with uh, Aretha Franklin and George Benson. 
produced by Arif Martin. She sang with Elton John. All these stories that we, we didn't even get around to. I was so afraid that I was just keeping her for way too long. And uh, anyway, I'm grateful that she shared what she did with me. I want to close it out with one of my favorite solo Marcella songs. This is Detroit. The song is called Detroit. And it's from that first big solo album from the 90s, Jewel, that she put out. This song just has such a fantastic groove. I could listen to it for hours. In fact, I usually do. Uh, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you guys learned a lot. And please check out Vicious Bitch. The link to her website where you can go buy this song is right here in the uh, show description. Okay? And if, if I were you, go give her a follow on Facebook and go back and read the last couple of months of her posts on there because every day is a new story about something really cool that happened in her in her career. I mean, that, those stories are way better than everything we just talked about. It's really, really interesting. Now, next week, I haven't decided what I'm going to go with next week. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I have some. We've been on such a winning streak lately, and I have some episodes that I think are great that I haven't been able to put out because they're not as time-sensitive as some of the ones like Marcy or or the Skids or Justin Curry or whatever. I need to get some of those out. So I might do that. Um, I'm not sure. Next Tuesday's my birthday. So maybe I'll put something special out for me. What I want. I don't know. Anyway, come back and join us, please. And we should have a bonus episode coming out this weekend. We've got two or three of them in the can. We just got to get around to putting them out. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything that you do. Thank you, buddy. Um, you can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us a message on there, or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, everybody. We love you.